Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Craig Serenbach uh, from Bartlett & Company. Thanks for joining us, Craig. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Uh, before we get started today, I figured I'd tell everyone who's going to be uh, coming up. Tomorrow we're going to have Mark S. Ross. He owns a company called IT Foresight. And the bulk of the conversation tomorrow from Mark is going to be about data recovery. It's not about data backup, which is in, intrinsically important, but how do you recover, especially for people like who are in the Northeast who maybe actually lost their place of business, lost their computers, or maybe just lost power f- for 11 days, like my daughter. During uh, Thanksgiving, Thursday, and Friday, we're going to have a couple of reruns. On Thursday, we're going to have uh, Troy Augustine. And we're going to have a surprise rerun on Friday. Following week, on November 29th, we have John Mybers from Computerese. And on the 30th of November, we're going to have Darby Fazakis from the Divine Group. She's going to be talking about how to select employees that really work out well in a job. And the following week, on December 6th, we're going to have Richard Brown from Emerge IT Solutions. They're a provider of voice over IP telephony systems and other IT services. And on December 7th, we're going to have Janelle Ross from Ross Motors. They're a automotive dealership. They have several brands, General Motors and Mercedes-Benz. So there'll be some interesting questions for Janine. And she'll be telling us about some of the... Uh, new construction that she's had up at her dealerships. For Sandler Clients, the Sandler Client Summit number two, entitled No Guts, No Gain, is going to be February 14th and 15th in Orlando, Florida. It's going to be at the Buena Vista Palace Hotel and Spa in Orlando, right across the street from downtown Disney. Great place. Everything in the conference will be working towards how to get you psychologically tougher. Do you think business is getting easier or tougher, Craig? More difficult every day. No guts, no gain is the right theme. If you're a Sandler client, some people have been asking us about that $100 discount that's set to expire this week. Sandler has extended that till the end of the year. So if you want to pay $400 instead of $500, sign up for the conference. The website is www.clientsummit2013.sandler.com. Okay. Again, for Sandler, for both Sandler clients and non-Sandler clients, if you if you use networking as a business development tool, we have a four-week networking course starting in January 2013 uh, that's available. It's exceptionally inexpensive. I won't even announce the price. But if you're interested, 
Uh, you can call our office at 753-9400, the 513 area code. Let's see. I think I ran through all the announcements. Uh, so let me introduce Craig properly. Craig is a graduate of Princeton University with a degree in economics and has an MBA from Columbia University in New York. That means uh, like you grew up in the New York area, Craig? I actually grew up in Virginia, but spent a lot of time in New York. Okay, well, you, you, I'm sure you had to learn the 33rd and 3rd accent, right? Oh, I can do it. You can do it, okay. Uh, after college, uh, Craig worked in a New York financial services industry firm uh, advising private clients on investments, uh, then transitioned to Goldman Sachs in their asset management division advising financial advisors on how to build better practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, what brought you to Cincinnati, Craig? Well, I had an opportunity through uh, a network friend of ours to join Bartlett and Company. I was a financial advisor for about seven years when I graduated from Princeton um, and really just have a passion for the markets and wanted to get back into investing and providing advice for clients. So Bartlett has a very interesting history. As you know, the firm's been in Cincinnati since 1898. and Aren't they the oldest? financial services company in this region? They are, um, certainly in greater Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the firm's had a long presence here and um, had an interesting uh, turn of events in the mid-90s when they were bought by Leg Mason uh, out of Baltimore. And so they were owned by Leg for many years and interestingly enough, uh, saw an opportunity to buy themselves back uh, and become locally owned again. Uh, That happened earlier this year and as a result, uh, the plan for the firm was growth and to, uh, to hire more people and to continue to grow and spread their roots here in Cincinnati. Uh, I had an opportunity uh, to meet with all of the advisors and, and, and many of the staff at the firm and just felt uh, in my mind that this was going to be a place for me for the rest of my career. Okay, so you, you didn't have family here? You didn't have a wife's family here? Oh, well, uh, I actually do. Uh, interestingly enough, my parents moved from Virginia about five years ago. Uh, my wife grew up here, and uh, you know her family's been here for over 30 years. So personally, it seemed like a pretty easy transition for us, and, oh, and it has been. Okay, wife's family living in Cincinnati. Uh, th- did she tell you when you moved here that your passport to move to another city was canceled? <laughs> uh, she did. We're we're going to be Cincinnatians through and through. That's good. That's good. You know, I came here a little differently about 20 years ago. Uh, with my wife and for business, and I said to her, well, "We'll we'll try Cincinnati for two years. If I don't like it, we're out of here." <laughs> and here it is, twenty years later. So it's pretty. It's a pretty good town. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, Craig, you're now an investment advisor with Bartlett, uh, managing investments and uh, providing wealth management advice for clients, high net worth clients. Uh, you you work with both families and foundations. We do. And uh, and you work with uh, endowments. We do. And uh, the way you work with people at Bartlett is on a, uh, a fee for serv- fee for services or a um, which is commission or a, uh, a just a, a, fa- a flat fee based on the percentage Correct. of the total assets under management. Flat fee for assets under management. Good. Okay. That's, a, that's I've, I've always found that to be inherently a uh, an honest way to deal with transactions. We certainly feel the same way. Has Bartlett always worked that way? 
for many years, they were, I guess you could say, more brokerage oriented. Um, but I would say under the leadership of, of our chairman, uh, Bill Friedlander, we changed the format of the firm uh, a number of years ago. And actually, I would say within this area and certainly uh, more nationally, we're one of the on the cutting edge, you could say, uh, in terms of doing that. And I think the mindset was just as you mentioned, which was to put the advisor and the client on the same side of the table and, and grow together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's start a big topic. Sure. Which is, you know, there are a lot of financial services advisors. There are a lot of uh, people at the brokerage houses like Merrill Lynch, uh, they work on a fee basis, and some of them work on a commission basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think the best way to find the finance, someone to find the financial advisor is? That's a great question. Uh, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of financial advisors, a lot of financial firms, um, many of whom offer some of the same services. And I would say that ultimately this is a relationship business. Um, you know, we sit down with clients with a blank piece of paper on our first meeting. And, and the goal there is really to understand the client's goals, uh, what makes them excited about uh, investing and planning for retirement, uh, and what keeps them up at night. And I would say that really, Mike, it's a gut feeling. Um, it's very hard to put uh, a process or, you know, uh, there's no science necessarily behind that. Ultimately, it's about forming a great relationship with your advisor and knowing uh, that they can help you reach their goals and knowing that they work with integrity and honesty and uh, ultimately um, to to, to do the right thing for the client. Um, That's something that's been developed over many years. And I would say that we're lucky at Bartlett because of our history, uh, because of the people that work there, many of whom have been with Bartlett for over 30, in some cases over 40 years and have built those relationships over time. And so that spans uh, multi-generational families um, who trust us and have a lot of trust and a good feeling about referring friends and family to the firm. Um, I really think that that's ultimately the best way to find a financial advisor. It's not just about investments. um, It's about wealth planning, financial planning, uh, knowing that you're on the right path. And I'll certainly agree with you that Finding an advisor that you trust and has an impeccable reputation, a clean uh, record with uh, the financial regulatory industry authorities is a a critical condition. Um, But one of the the questions that a person or family or endowment should be asking to figure out whether or not they should change. Well, I think ultimately it's uh, looking at past history, uh, looking where they've been, um, you know, asking the questions about the the advisors who have been with the firm, their tenure, um, who else they work with, uh, whether it's in the community here locally or it's around the country, um, asking questions about, you know, which, what types of solutions they offer. Um, I think to go back to your Uh, Initial question about doing business today, it's certainly more difficult. Um, I think there are a lot of firms out there that offer virtually the same things, and ultimately um, the questions people should be asking is, what is your unique value proposition? Uh, Why should I leave my existing advisor to work with you? 
And I think that uh, ultimately Bartlett uh, certainly has a unique value proposition, one that's on the cutting edge uh, of offering financial solutions, uh, thinking about taxes. Um, you know, obviously we have a long history working with institutional people, um, the endowments, the foundations, and we also have a long history of working with uh, business executives and business owners, uh, people who've inherited money here locally, um, and we've done an exceptional job for over 114 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Briefly, before we have to take a uh, commercial break, uh, what is the value proposition that you that you offer at Bartlett? Um, I think it's really it comes back to our core values. Um, number one is is integrity. Uh, we have a culture I think that treats our, not only our clients but everybody that we work with on a day to day with with a lot of respect. Number two, I think, is objectivity. Uh, we really have an unbiased approach. We don't have any internal products that we offer. We're going out there finding the best investment managers. We're consulting with centers of influence, whether they be attorneys, uh, you know, CPAs, so on and so forth, uh, all around, not only here locally, but around the country to find the best solution for clients. Um, you know, we, as I said, we really have an expertise. I think people want to and do stay with Bartlett. Um, you know, I think people can feel comfortable, whether they be an individual or a family, and know that you're going to have an advisor that's going to be there for a very long time. Um, I think we take a unique approach from a team aspect. Uh, every single account that we manage, there's not one person on it. It's an entire team of people, um, you know, who can bring their, I think, their collective knowledge and expertise to making investment decisions and planning decisions. Uh, but also, you know that you have somebody there uh, as a backup. Um, in a worst-case scenario. And I think, finally, really, it is about those solutions. Um, you know, it's not just about stocks and bonds anymore. It's about how do we be, th- how are we thoughtful about alternative investing? How are we thoughtful about taking taxes into account? Certainly a hot topic right now. Um, and we're going to come back the to transition. that. So I think that's really what our unique value proposition is. It's, it's those core values that we live and breathe every day. Good. Uh, if anyone has a question for Craig, The call-in number today is, as always, 646-595-4916. We'll be able to take your calls during the commercial break, and we'll take about uh, two minutes here. Company owners and sales managers, are you sick and tired of hiring a salesperson you think is Tom Cruise only to get Pee Wee Herman on the first day of the job? Call me, Mike Roth, 513-646-6523 to stop this from happening to you again. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are you hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513 646 6523 or check our website at rothconsulting.net. 
Company owners and sales managers, are you tired of cutting your price to get the deal? Wouldn't you like to have a better way? Wouldn't you want to improve your margins? Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 to see if there's a better way for you. This is Mike Roth with Sandler Training, finding power and reinforcement. Are you tired of prospects saying, I want to think it over? Are you tired of being an unpaid consultant? Call me at 513-646-6523 on the web at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Greg Sarenbach of the Bartlett & Company. Uh, before the break, Greg, we went over the unique value proposition that Bartlett has. Uh, so, you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? Please, feel free. Does Bartlett & Company have a separate tax department to advise clients on the things to do with their investments? Uh, minimize taxes naturally. Yeah, great question. Uh, we, we do not have a separate tax department, um, but again, based on the fact that we have an extensive amount of history, uh, connections, network here in the community, uh, we have a whole swath of, of CPAs and, and tax experts who help advise our clients. Okay. And uh, some of the larger New York-based firms have a research department. Uh, how do you guys handle that at Bartlett? We do. Uh, we have a dedicated team uh, who research equity industries. Uh, we have three dedicated folks who do that. Um, so we have actively managed equity portfolios. We also have actively managed fixed income portfolios, which I think, again, back to the back to the value proposition, is extremely unique. Um, our folks are scouring the world for individual bonds, trading individual uh, bonds on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and I'm not ashamed to admit have done an exceptional job uh, along with our equity guys for many, many years now. How does that work? Um, we have a large number of CFAs, mm-hmm. uh, charter, charter financial uh, analysts, and really we have, I think, a passion for looking at individual companies. Um, you know, we we are doing research on a day-to-day basis, uh, we are traveling uh, around the country, um, meeting with management, kicking the tires, so to speak, um, and really making those core investment decisions uh, based on the research uh, of those three folks on the equity side as well as our two folks on the fixed income side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think an investor should be looking for from a firm like yours in, in looking at or interviewing several firms, because I think all sophisticated investors will recognize that you can't claim a certain percentage of growth. Sure. Um, I think the important thing is to not have somebody who's going to predict the direction of the market. Uh, I think somebody who is extremely objective, and what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of times um, advisors will sell quote-unquote products. Uh, that the firm manufactures and, you know, pays the highest fee. Um, we don't have any of that. At so Bartlett. you don't have any of your own uh, load or no-load mutual funds? That, Correct. That we concocted by Bartlett? Correct. We do, we do not. Uh, That's we, good. We're, we're going um, and looking around the globe for the best investment managers that we can for our clients, no matter what asset class they may, that may be in. Um, and I think that level of objectivity is something that is a miss. Uh, today and and ultimately, if you're looking for a financial advisor, uh, that would be the number one thing. 
You know, the second thing I think, uh, you know, equally as important um, is a firm with expertise and tenure. Um, you know, we, we really do take a long-term approach for our clients. And, again, we're not trying to predict where the S&P 500 is going to be. We're not trying to predict uh, which asset classes are going to do better than others. Uh, that's really not the objective of the firm. Our clients come to us mainly for protection of wealth. Um, you know, growth, obviously, very important, but they want to make sure that their wealth is protected. So so you're, you guys aren't doing what, what Jim Cramer says. He he should do for his own personal <laughs> portfolio uh, on TV every day. No, no. Jim, uh, you know, is obviously a very successful guy and a great entertainer. Um, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of people, individuals out there, lose sight of the fact that that's just one piece of the puzzle. You know, buying stocks is just one piece of the puzzle. Um, it really takes a broadly diversified approach uh, that is focused on risk management. And I think that's an area where uh, Bartlett is certainly on the cutting edge and has been for a long, long time. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, our focus on using a broad suite of alternatives, um, making sure that we're using asset classes that actually reduce risk um, and not add to risk. So over here at Sandler, we, we have a rule that we don't use a buzz, buzz, industry buzzword that's going to confuse people without explaining it first. So uh, you talked about classes of, of uh, investment. Uh, what kinds of things... Uh, is Bartlett suggesting that? What are the investment classes that, sh that you should, an investor should be in to protect their investment and experience at least market rates of return? Great, great question. Um, I think obviously today, uh, one thing on everybody's mind is low interest rates. And what's going to happen when interest rates start to rise? Is that really going to hurt my bond portfolio? So uh, what we look at is, not necessarily to tell clients to get away from fixed income, um, but to use things that can put you in the best position to win. And what I mean by that is um, using things like hedge funds. Uh, people think hedge funds and they think, oh, gosh, that's, that's huge risk. They're just cowboys out there shooting for the lights. Um, that's really not what hedge funds are designed to do. And, and again, this comes back to the objectivity and trying to find the best ideas in the marketplace. We, we, we look for things that give you um, you know, exposures that don't move like stocks, that don't move like the S&P 500. Uh, we're, we're looking at using asset classes like emerging market debt. Uh, you think about all the debt that's in the developed world today. Um, in many emerging countries, their balance sheets look incredible, and you can still get a very attractive yield. Uh, things like global real estate, um, things like uh, commodities, uh, things like high-yield bonds, uh, these are areas of the marketplace that, quite frankly, most investors uh, feel scared um, to get involved with. But what we found, and history has borne this out over the last 15 to 20 years, that a basket of those types of asset classes to complement your stocks and your bonds uh, has actually given you better return and lower risk. Um, so so what, those, percent, what percentage of uh, an investor's portfolio should be in commodities like uh, gold and silver? Maybe well, even copper. Well, you know, I, I think obviously, Mike, that depends on the client. But what we would say is, um, you know, unfortunately, with with gold in the headlines today and uh, silver in the headlines and concerns about the weakening dollar and so on and so forth, uh, people probably put too much of their portfolio uh, in those types of asset classes. And what we would advocate is, um, you know, just to be really more thoughtful uh, based upon the risk 
that those asset classes contribute to a portfolio. So, um, you know, again, it's it, correct. It, it really depends on the client. But what we would say is if you take somebody who's extremely aggressive and, you know, they have a portfolio that's 100% stocks, um, you know, maybe that's some of our listeners, maybe, maybe it's not. Uh, but ultimately, we would say diversify, you know, 5 to 10% of your portfolio, um, you know, into other asset classes. Mm-hmm. Commodities being one piece, maybe that ends up being one to two percent. Unfortunately, we see a situation today where people don't trust the stock market, they don't trust the bond market, uh, they're worried about the election, they're worried about the fiscal cliff, and so they put all of their portfolio in, in gold. Um, you know, we certainly don't think that's a sound strategy. Because? Well, because you're concentrating your risk. Just like you don't want to have a, a portfolio that's 100% stocks or 100% bonds, uh, you're probably not going to reach your goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100% is probably way too high. Um, but I, you know, I just can't imagine gold, gold going back down to $300 an ounce. Well, no, nobody could have imagined that house prices were going down or that stocks could go down either. But uh, the, the point is to stay diversified, to rebalance. Whatever the decision ends up being made about how much you have in each of your portfolios in each asset class, really the only free lunch in the market uh, is not just diversification, it's rebalancing that diversified portfolio. Mm -hmm. How often should uh, an investor rebalance their portfolio? Great question. Um, Again, I think that depends, but at least once a year. Mm -hmm. Some investors more than that? Some do. Um, You know, we certainly have investors that, uh, you know, have uh, certain... Uh, financial uh, obligations to meet, and so maybe that's something that's done uh, quarterly. Um, you know, there are certainly portfolios out there um, in the mutual fund space, um, you know, that may rebalance every single month. Um, but ultimately, we would say for a, a long-term investor, uh, you probably want to rebalance at least once a year. Okay, that sounds like a like a fair thing. Uh, we just had a uh, a little election here. And uh, the results were kind of uh, lopsided, leaving the country with a divided uh, legislature and a a Democratic president. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why don't you tell us what you think investors should do now? We have the impending tax increases in January. And let's take maybe two minutes now, and then we'll we'll take a break and then come back and talk some more on this subject. Sure. Um, obviously, a topic on everybody's mind. Uh, I think from 30,000 feet, what you would see is not a, not much has changed. We're basically in the same place that we were uh, on November the 4th. And so ultimately, what we need to do uh, in this country, and I think you've seen a little bit of a referendum on that with some of the changes that happened in the Senate and the House, that uh, people want compromise. Uh, they want growth. They they want jobs being created in this country, and they and they want their politicians to come together Uh, and do the right thing for the country. So, again, what we would say to investors is look at your individual situation. Um, If you're really concerned that your tax rate is about to skyrocket um, and you've been loaded up in in dividend-paying stocks uh, in the short term and you have higher-yielding funds, you know, maybe we take a look at that. But really, at the end of the day, Mike, um, no matter what's going to happen with – the politicians, no matter what's going to happen with housing prices, no matter what's going to happen with the stock market or the bond market, ultimately we take a long-term 
diversified and balanced approach. That is the only thing that we can do to get through a lot of this uncertainty that's going to happen. Um, you know, and ultimately, I think for a lot of clients, people are putting too much on the president, the Congress. Um, ultimately, we think that these things are going to work themselves out. Ultimately, we think that a compromise will be reached, uh, that you won't see massive increases, um, you know, in taxes next year. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity as a result here in the market. You've seen the stock market drop uh, quite a bit since the election. We view that as a significant opportunity. Okay. We're going to uh, listen to Sandler Rule number 19. Again, if you have any questions that you'd like Greg to answer, call in on area code 646-595-4916. Hi, I'm George Donovan with Sandler Training. I'm here to talk to you about rule number 19, never help the prospect end the interview. We've all been on sales calls where it's been uncomfortable and the prospect's acting uninterested or maybe even a little bit hostile. Your inclination is to close your portfolio, get up and walk out, but don't. This rule calls for you to hang in there. Ask the question that gets the issue on the table. Chances are it's not you. Maybe it's your company's past performance that's the problem, or perhaps another company that sells similar products or services, or maybe it's another salesperson that has nothing to do with you or your company, but you'll never know unless you ask. So it sounds something like this. Let's suppose your prospect's name was Bill. You'd say, Bill, you seem a little bit skeptical. Is there something that I've said or done that's made you feel this way? And if it is, could we talk about it? Or maybe you say, Bill, I sense that there's a problem. Would it be okay if we talked about that for a minute? So the important part is that you ask. It takes the pressure off of you, and it helps the prospect work through the issue so you can get by it and get back to the interview. So the next time you're on an uncomfortable sales call, don't bail. Hang in there and remember rule number 19. Never help the prospect end the interview. Mike Roth. I'm back with Craig Sarenbach from uh, Bartlett & Company. Craig, we were talking about what investors should do after the election before the so-called uh, financial cliff. Uh, did I get the impression from listening to you that you, you don't believe that uh, Congress is going to address that? It's going to be business as usual. They're going to kick the ball down the road, so to speak? Um, we're I'm of the view, I think we're of the view that no one in their right mind is going to push this economy back into a recession. And more importantly than that, I think that for many politicians, many of whom are up for re-election in two years, uh, no one wants to be blamed anymore for inactivity. So while I do think some of these things may be kicked down the road, so to speak, I think there will be a grand compromise to avert the so-called fiscal cliff. Um, In terms of the deficit, You know, that's part and parcel of this. Um, But we believe, ultimately, these things cannot be planned out. And 
And quite frankly, if we see uh, a compromise on the fiscal cliff uh, and growth in the U.S. returns to two and a half to three percent, uh, we see you know Europe, uh, although uh, you know things look extremely dire over there. Um, you know their central bank and and everybody has said we're going to make sure we can do everything to uh, to, to avoid another recession or, or certainly even a depression. Um, you know, the thing, Mike, that I, I don't think a lot of investors are planned for is what if things go right? What if the U.S. economy starts to really grow again? What if China stops slowing down? What if Europe, you know, maybe the, maybe things don't look so great on the surface, but ultimately a resolution is formed? Um, you know, our belief is that you could certainly see, uh, you know, stocks uh, continue to do extremely well in that environment. Uh, housing prices have started to turn. Interest rates are extremely low. Uh, manufacturing in the United States is is improving, certainly here in the Ohio region, um, in a big way. And ultimately, we think that the deficit will work itself out, that just economic growth will reduce a lot of that deficit, um, and we'll we'll be in pretty good shape. Okay, so here we are after the election, looking at impending tax increases on dividend-paying investments like stocks and bonds, and I know they may be treated differently for capital gains uh, or turning them into ordinary income. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think investors should do? Well, I mean, we think investors should stick with their plan. Um, I, I don't know that... Um, you know, all of a sudden, selling dividend-paying stocks because that dividend-paying stocks, you know, um, is necessarily a sound strategy. Ultimately, we think that if you're owning a good company uh, and you believe in the long-term viability of that company, that that you should own a piece of that stock. Um, you know, ultimately, we think that uh, there's going to be some some compromise that there won't be a situation where tax rates for every single person in the United States are going up. Uh, we, we don't believe that that's on the table. And so, you know, while it gets a lot of headlines and, and people are concerned that, um, you know, the, the GOP doesn't want uh, the wealthiest Americans to start, you know, paying higher taxes, you know, that may, that may be part of the compromise. And so, you know, we think ultimately that, um, you know, certainly middle-income middle, middle income investors, um, you know, folks who, who own mutual funds, so on and so forth, maybe in a retirement plan and, um, you know, we don't think they're going to be impacted in a negative way. Uh, what do you think is going to happen to uh, interest rates, which are now at historic lows? <laughs> well, you know, uh, there are a lot of folks that have lost a lot of money trying to predict the direction of interest rates in the last few years. So um, I don't think I'm any in, in any position or, or smarter than anybody else to predict the direction of interest rates. But, um, you know, Ben Bernanke uh, has said that interest rates are going to stay low for a number of years. And, you know, ultimately, um, you know, what they've done with, with a lot of their so-called quantitative easing um, are, are buy mortgage bonds to keep uh, mortgage rates low and, and hopefully spur a housing recovery, which, you know, if you've been paying attention over the last six six to nine months, you, you've absolutely seen that. Um, and ultimately, we think that's going to persist for some time. So, you know, what does that mean for retirement investors who live on a fixed income? You know, certainly it's extremely difficult. And, and that's why we would say that, having a broadly diversified portfolio that invests across the globe and finds other ways to generate income is is vitally important in a lower interest rate environment. Mm -hmm. uh, Craig, why don't you tell the folks why you believe uh, investing in uh, 
all over the globe in, you said, uh, developing countries as opposed to developed countries like Germany and France and England. Sure. Uh, makes good economic sense. How do we know that uh, Nigeria is not going to have an over overthrown government? The bonds of Nigeria or the stocks of the oil companies there won't be made worthless. That's a great question, and uh, what I would pose is that's why you diversify. That's why uh, you, you find a mutual fund or an exchange-traded fund or another solution that is broadly diversified and, and has a group of managers that are watching these situations like a hawk. Um, you know, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, you talk about uh, debt-to-GDP levels in the United States and much of the developed world, it's at 100%. Um, and yet, despite all of that, despite the U.S. debt being downgraded last year and despite Europe being in, in trouble, um, interest rates in those uh, large economies have actually come down. Um, and they've certainly come down in the emerging world uh, as well. But uh, their debt-to-GDP levels in places like China or Indonesia uh, or the Philippines um, you know, are running closer to 30%. So what does that mean? Well, that means that they can take more money that they have from GDP growth and invest it, invest in technology, invest in infrastructure. Um, I, I've got to believe that our president and our Congress would love to have a situation where they're not servicing debt or spending an inordinate amount of money uh, spending on debt because we need to improve our infrastructure in this country. We need to invest more in technology. And this is where the emerging world, I think, um, you know, is going to lead for a while. And as a result, um, Assets from around the world are flowing into those countries uh, from investors, from, you know, folks, private uh, companies looking to, to, to take advantage of these opportunities. And as a result, um, you know, the, you, you see their currency strengthen and you see the price of their bonds continue to go up. I think a lot of a lot of people don't realize today that if you talk about a country like Indonesia or, you know, many of the others in the emerging world, think people think that that's very, very risky. Um, and yet, these are places where uh, they're actually they're actually investment grade uh, rated, and so that's and that's a trend that's improving. So that's why we would advocate for investing in a place, uh, you know, like in Indonesia, China, Brazil, um, India. There's tremendous amount of opportunity there, and and investors are pay, being paid quite handsomely in terms of their income for taking that risk. It's all about risk reward. So what kind of interest rate uh, can people get for investing in India? Um, well, you or know, yield, if, if you want to look at it. You know, it, it certainly depends on the maturity, but, you know, anywhere from 6 to 9%. Um, you know, you look at even places like China and uh, rates over treasuries are 4 and 5%. Certainly very similar in places like Brazil and Indonesia. So, um, you know, there are a lot of investors out there who... Uh, have gone into those asset classes, and you've, you've seen those interest rates actually come down. Um, but as a result of the last couple of weeks, uh, with the risk coming out of the market, so to speak, uh, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there. Uh, you mentioned managers earlier, uh, fund managers outside of Bartlett. Mm -hmm. How do you got, you know, for a fairly sophisticated investor like myself and it, business owner, uh, I have no way to evaluate a fund manager. How, how does Bartlett approach that issue? Yeah, great question. I think it's you know some of the same questions that you would ask uh, wanting to join Bartlett, which is uh, manager tenure. Uh, 
how long have you been there at this fund? How long have you been uh, investing in this strategy? Um, you know, certainly peer performance um, is a big key. And we want to see not only just better performance, but consistency of performance. Um, just like you would invest here at Bartlett, you don't want to see wild swings in your portfolio. Um, you know, so I think those are really the two major criteria that we look at, which is, again, uh, performance versus peers um, and manager tenure. Uh, certainly, a length of operation of the fund is a very important thing. Uh, you want to make sure that you've had a long cycle to evaluate uh, these fund managers. So, um, you know, those are those are really the big the big parts of our checklist. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's go back to Bar. When they when they came back from Lagos Masson uh, to Cincinnati, mm-hmm. uh, how many of the Original Bartlett people were part of that buyout. Every, it, everyone. Everyone. So they didn't lose anybody. No. Well, that's that's kind of good news for everybody. Uh, the people that have been here, Mike, they're going to stay here, and they see an opportunity for growth in the future. Um, and so I think, you know, there's been a, a renewed sense of excitement, you know, about the opportunity to be owned. In-house. Mm-hmm. And if someone wants to get a hold of you privately after the show, how do they do that, Craig? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, our direct number that they can call is area code 513-621-4612. Again, that's area code 513-621-4612. And I'm happy to take any questions, any calls from anyone. And would you take emails? Absolutely. Uh, my email is C-S-A-R-E-M, like Mike, B as in boy, O-C-K, at Bartlett1898.com. C-Sarenbach at Bartlett1898.com. Okay. And if they wanted to see your website, it would be yeah. Bartlett1898.com. The website, yeah, the, web, the, the website is incredible. Um we have a team of folks in-house who uh, update the website weekly with topical information on the economy, uh, markets, real-life investing scenarios, uh, and you can visit that at www.bartlett1898.com. Good. Greg, we're going to take a, uh, a short commercial break here. Again, if you want to ask uh, Craig any questions, you can call 646 595 When you hear about a typical sales training program, does it usually involve a one- or two-day seminar where some alleged guru passes down what he claims are the secrets to making sales? At Roth & Associates, I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. We recognize that truisms and motivating speeches aren't enough to arm sales teams with the tools they need for success. Sales is a hard business. Typical sales training can only provide typical and disappointing results. At Roth & Associates, we use the Sandler methodology of continual reinforcement and ongoing training seminars along with individual coaching to ensure victory in the world of sales. We've been doing it here in Cincinnati for over 15 years. You won't fail because I won't let you. Roth & Associates, 513-646-6523. 513-646-6523. On the web at RothConsulting.net. Finding power in reinforcement. This is Mike Roth, 
Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Greg Sarenbach week before Thanksgiving. We're still looking for those turkeys next week, <laughs> uh, which obviously brought us to a question about leadership. Uh, Craig, maybe you can give our, our listeners a, uh, a a tip from Bartlett about leadership. I think, as uh, we just heard in the commercial, you know, there are a couple there are a couple kinds of leaders out there. What I took from that, and and really, I think what we focus on at Bartlett, you know, is a number of things. I would say it's not just one thing. Uh, first and foremost, though, a leadership tip. Um, I'm sure you've heard this before, but it's to be a good listener. I think a lot of people come into a meeting, you know, whether internally or externally, and have and have a set agenda, and they're only in, in, interested in having that agenda seen through. I think ultimately the first step that we take with our clients, and this is continuing, is is to listen. Uh, we go into our first meeting, uh, multiple meetings after that, with a blank pad, and and really listen to what every client's goals are, uh, what concerns them, uh, what what excites them, where they want to be, uh, you know, in the future. Um, I think that's, uh, that, that be, being a good listener is, is certainly easier said than done, um, but that is a strategy, I think, that will have the long-term trust of your clients. Um, you know, you they mentioned optimism in that commercial. Well, you know, for us, I would say we're optimistic. Uh, an optimistic investor is a successful investor. And uh, as your friend Jim Cramer likes to say, there there is always a bull market somewhere, and I'd like to help you find it. And I think ultimately that's the approach that we take because... To- I, I don't want to take the position of Jim Cramer as my friend. <laughs> well, you He's know... He's just extremely popular in the he is, public but, media. Or shall I say the, the populist Jim Cramer. Yes. Uh, he, he would say that there there is a bull market somewhere. And I think too many investors uh, lose sight of that. And, you know... There's an interesting statistic that I, I like to share with clients all the time, which is, you know, that there's a penalty for for missing the market, so to speak, and taking the first sign of of a challenge and hunkering down, just like your turtle. Um, you know, if we go back uh, over the last 20 years, um, an investor in the market, you know, if you if you'd say invested uh, for all 5,050 of those days, Mike, uh, you would have averaged nearly an 8% return on your money. Yet, you know what, if you just missed the 10 best days, if you were out of the market on those 10 best days out of 5,050, your return drops to 4%. And guess what? Take away the 70 best days in the market over the last 20 years, and you've lost 7% a year on your money. 
My point is that staying optimistic and staying on plan is ultimately how investors are going to reach their goals. And that's the story that we tell clients every single day. Um, you know, if, if you want to call that a leadership tip, uh, then it, then I'm happy to take that. But, you know, ultimately we think that that's a smart, um, you know, objective way to view things. And so, you know, be a really good listener, empathize with your clients, uh, put yourself in their shoes, um, you know, and be optimistic. Those are really the top three, I would say. Let's mm-hmm. uh, uh, change gears here a minute. We, we, you mentioned... Bartlett's website, uh, and we've talked earlier offline that it's a website that's been developed in-house. Yes. I'm sure partially because of compliance reasons in your industry. Let me ask you this question. We have a theory of operation here that uh, simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong, and if you want to solve a complex problem, you have to put a complex solution on it. Maybe you could talk for a minute about a complex problem you encountered in your career uh, and the complex solution you developed to solve the complex problems that might be applicable for other people in other industries? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think the, the complex uh, problem that we see, and I certainly saw this when I was doing a lot of my consulting work uh, at Goldman Sachs, was um, just not thinking forward and thinking that the same thing that you've been doing for 30 or 40 years is going to work uh, for the next 30 or 40 years. And ultimately, what that boiled down to um, was investors not understanding where the risk was coming from in their portfolios. And, um, you know, the, I guess I was lucky in the sense that uh, I started working for Goldman in 2009, uh, right after the 2008 financial crisis. And I think it forced a lot of advisors um, and ultimately for their clients to take a second look at what they were doing. Um, investing, I think, can be pretty simple. Um, I think advisors and, and clients, in some cases, make it complicated. Um, we, we don't believe that it has to be complicated. Um, but I think taking a forward-looking view and understanding where your risk is coming from uh, is really the first step uh, into building a better portfolio and preserving that wealth and not having a situation like 2008 it, we all know uh, markets go in cycles, and inevitably there's going to be another uh, period like that. Maybe not as severe as 2008, uh, but ultimately it's putting your clients in the best position to win, um, you know, preparing for the worst, so to speak, and, and hoping for the best. And so, you know, the complex problem, um, you know, really is that anchoring, so to speak, that, that behavioral finance problem that I think afflicts afflict a lot of people um, thinking that the same way they've been doing things is applicable to the future. And it's it's constantly evolving. It's understanding your your history, understanding your industry, and knowing exactly what's out there in the marketplace um, and being able to be, I think, very thoughtful and objective about, you know, what's going to drive that growth into the future. Um, you know, I think that kind of thing can be applied to any industry. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it doesn't have to be complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these mutual funds, uh, because of the share levels, A, B, C, uh, load, no load, uh, what areas they're supposed to specialize in, have made investing complicated in, in mutual funds. Uh, are there any types of mutual funds that Bartlett recommends? Um 
Well, no. I, I don't think there's anything that we recommend per se, Mike. It's more along the lines of having a broadly diversified portfolio. And what we would say is if there's an asset class that you can do it cheaper and better, then use it. Um, you know, obviously we see one. For example. Yeah. Well, we'll get, give you an example. In the industry today, you see a situation between Vanguard and Charles Schwab and many of the others offering exchange traded funds, and they're beating each other over the head trying to uh, give the client the same access for a lower fee. So, you know, there's a there's some mutual funds and ETFs out there that Charles Schwab charges four basis points, uh, that Vanguard's may be charging 11 basis points, and you know that that fee compression um, has resulted in Certainly some firms going out of business, um, but the scale firms, the big firms out there see it as, as an opportunity. And so what we would say is, honestly, we don't care uh, what the fund is or what it purports to do. Ultimately, we want to give our clients uh, an opportunity to have the best performance at the lowest fee. Mm -hmm. You can do that through institutional shares on many mutual funds, ETFs, as I mentioned, exchange-traded okay. funds. You can, what's an institutional share? So that's that's a share class that has the lowest fee. Um, they tend to be uh, oh, these are mutual you know, through arrangements. Shares. Yeah. Correct. So you mentioned the A shares. You know, I, I think those are going the way of the dodo bird. Um, that ultimately investors are not willing to pay five and a half percent, as well as an internal annual uh, expense ratio that maybe put that number in the first year at seven percent. Uh, people don't want to do that anymore. And so uh, many of these uh, mutual fund companies have started what they call institutional shares. They tend to be uh, the type of thing you can probably access them um, through most platforms. We offer them in many cases in our funds here at Bartlett. Um, you know, they tend to have a higher total minimum. Um, but, you know, given the scale that we have, you know, we're, we're able to offer those to our clients. Oh, is that like the DFA, super no load mutual funds? Yeah. So there's no load up front, and the annual expense ratio is significantly lower than the A-share. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good. Um, we've covered a lot of topics today, Greg. Uh, certainly there are a lot more in financial services. Are there any topics that you want to add that we haven't covered yet. Yeah, what, what, one thing I would mention, um, and I know this is a hot topic and certainly has been for the last couple of years, is social media and how do investors and advisors uh, access so social media. Um, you know, it's a hot topic, but, you know, given a lot of the tight regulation that exists in the industry, I think for a lot of people, we're still in that uncertainty phase of, of understanding how to use it. Um, you know, you're not going to find uh, advisors out there tweeting or blogging um, you know, we certainly don't do that, but uh, all of our advisors, including myself, are, are active users of LinkedIn uh, in terms of using that as a networking tool and a referral tool and, and really just keeping up with people. And, um, you know, I think that, that using LinkedIn is incredible. They've really done, I would say, the best job for business professionals in terms of offering something that's simple to use. I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot to mention it. There was a big change on the Sandler Client Summit last week, Sandler announced that the executive vice president of LinkedIn is going to be our featured keynote speaker Great. on that Thursday. There you go. And uh, Sandler's developed a LinkedIn prospecting tool uh, and methodology, which actually was written into a draft of a book. And 
It might be released at the client summit in February. Um, everything at Sandler is pending legal review. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's a significantly valuable methodology. Uh, and to get the executive vice president of LinkedIn to come out to Orlando for the convention, uh, I thought that was a uh, a great uh, coup d'etat. And it's never been done before at Sandler where we bring a an outsider in who is not directly associated with Sandler training or a training. Well, we, we certainly, uh, you know, use it. And um, as you said, I think it's a fantastic tool for business professionals. Um, it really is easy to use. It really is easy to understand. Um, you know, what I would say also, though, is while social media is very important from a visibility standpoint, I think at the end of the day, uh, clients continue to refer friends and families to Bartlett uh, because of trusted relationships that we formed over many generations. Um, you know, as I said, you know, our website, first class, um, a lot of topical information on there, very easy to navigate. LinkedIn, we all use it, but at the end of the day, this is a business about trust and relationships, and that's certainly not going to change no matter how our social media changes over time. Good. Uh, Greg, I want to thank you for appearing on the show today. I'm going to be giving you a copy of uh, the Sandler book, The 49 Sandler Rules. Uh, It was was released at the end of uh, April and immediately shot to the number one position on Amazon and then went on to the Wall Street Journal uh, business book's number one position. Well, I look forward to reading it, and I know there's a lot of useful information in there for, for me. And for my firm, uh, it's really been an honor to be here, and I want to thank you. I, I want to thank Bartlett. You know, really had a great time. Thank Appreciate you. you being here. Uh, Scott, take it away. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.